Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. Bill, how can I help you? Well, I've got a house that was built back in 1974. Uh-huh. It has, uh, has brick on the outside, partial partial brick. And some of the uh, the joints on the brick are starting to get cracked and whatever. And I'm trying to figure out what I should do. Should I uh, try? Uh, they call it pointing the brick, or what? Are they, what do you do, and how do you do it? Well, when you say they're getting cracks, is it stair stepping crack that's uh, going down the wall? No, it's just it cracks in between the brick, but not 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 the. Uh, no, it's not. It's, it's here and there. It's, okay. It's not, it's not like it's not. It's not a foundation problem. Right, so you're not getting movement because that would be stair stepping. So it, it sounds like it's just the mortar drying out, and yeah, that can just be tuck pointed. And basically, what they do is they'll come in and remove back, oh, typically like a half inch or so of the mortar, and and refill it. And uh, you know, the the hard part is matching the colors. So that's where it takes somebody who knows what they're doing. Um. I mean, I'm on a fixed income, so it's a question of whether I can, whether I can do it myself or not. Yeah, um, you can, you can fill it yourself. And I know a lot of people worry that oh, I'm going to get water back there and stuff. Uh, that's really not a concern because moisture goes through all brick anyways. The weep holes at the bottom are to let the water that goes through the brick run down the backside and come out the weep holes. So <clears throat> if it's just a, a random spot like that here and there where, where you're getting a crack I, I really wouldn't lose any sleep over that your brick is just a veneer it's not a it's not truly a brick home where the brick is structural okay so just don't worry about it yeah uh you know if it if it's not long and wide and stuff like that you, you know just a hairline crack here and there which is what it kind of sounds like then i wouldn't worry about it all right then i won't thank you very Okey-doke. much Okey-doke. you bet you take care <laughs> thanks Bye. Bye. Tom and Champions, how can I help you? Yeah, how are you doing? Good. Hey, I got a property in northeast part of Harris County. I got to do a water well. And I was, uh, I heard you guys talking about uh, water well tanks and stuff. I said, well, let me you know, ask Jim. Maybe somebody will call in to the water well uh, drilling. Okay, that's in Northeast Harris County. You want you're wanting to drill a well. Uh, yes. Okay. On an residential property. Okay, uh, you know, the big thing's going to be to make sure that you can, uh, because there's a lot of ordinances whether you can or can't drill wells nowadays. But uh, yes, yes. You know, once that's taken care of. Uh, you're typically going to try to find somebody local, uh, like out in that That's area. I, I know of a yeah. couple out there. There's a RF Hull Water Well Service, uh, Texas Southern Drilling, uh, Southern Water Well. Th- those are all companies that are kind of up in that area. And it, it'll just be a matter of, you know, who who can pull a permit and and uh, get it drilled for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm driving right now. Uh, 
maybe I can stop it. Uh, you can repeat that number uh, or the names. Yeah, or uh, truthfully, if you'll uh, oh, give us till Tuesday, uh, and I'll make sure it's on the podcast for this week. Okay? Oh, okay. Okay. Tuesday? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. And again, 713-212-5874. And if you are up in that northeast Harris County area and you've had a, a well drilled or something, hey, call in, give give the guy a recommendation. Uh, because I haven't had any wells drilled in that area. I just know of some drillers up there. But, uh, you know, if you got personal experience with having one drilled, by all means, give us a holler. Lyndon, how are you today? Well, I'm doing pretty good, but I want somebody to clear me up on my thinking and see if I'm thinking wrong. I, I'm suspecting yeah. this efflorescence in my garage that's showing up on the floor. Uh-huh. Uh, it it appears to be moving down the garage floor. It I, I don't know if I've got a leak or something under the slab, but we cut the water meter off. We uh, checked it for you know to make sure we we disconnected to all the reading stuff, and we called the water company, and it doesn't appear that we have a leak. How, how old a house is it? It's probably thirty years old. Okay. And I'm wondering if there's a if there's a under the slab leak here. I don't I, I don't know, but you know, with with the meter showing nothing, I don't know what yeah what I need to do. I doubt it's gonna be a a leak from the water supply line. Um what typically we find on this is it, one of two things. One, there's a drainage issue that's that's allowing it. And by that, I mean there's a low spot that's holding water or like the the yard drainage comes towards the house. And that can be causing the problem. Or there can be a sewer line leak. Now, your house is within the age that it should all be PVC sewer lines, but that doesn't mean there can't be a leak in them. And that can cause it, but more than not, it is going to be in the drainage water coming towards the house. And what effervescence is, is really just um, there's a chemical reaction in the concrete. Moisture comes through the concrete. It reacts with uh, some chemicals in there that starts producing that effervescence. And there are some top coats and things you can put on to help minimize it. But it's one of those things where it literally comes through the, the concrete. And the reason it normally shows up later in years is foundations, when they're poured, they have that plastic barrier. They they call it a vapor barrier, but originally that was put in to keep the soil from pulling the moisture out of the concrete too fast. Well, nowadays we put it in to keep moisture that's in the soil from coming up through the concrete. Um and so where I would begin with looking at your place would be truly in, in the drainage around it. And, and ultimately look at the water from, from the back coming towards the house or, like I said, low spots where, where a dog dug or something like that holding water. And that's usually the culprits of this. 
Okay, well, I'll see what I can do. But this, like I said, it kind of it's irritating here. The oh looks yeah. Of it. Yep. Uh, I, and I'm gonna, I I'm gonna put you on I'll hold. I'll, I'll, I'll come. I'll come back to you in just a second here. When we left, I was talking with uh, Lyndon in Clear Lake about some effervescence in the garage. And you know, Lyndon, the the stuff. I know it looks nasty as it comes up. Kind of looks like cotton candy all over your concrete. And yes, you, you, yes, sir. It did. It. I mean, it. It isn't all over my place. And and the question I got: How do you clean it up? You literally can just sweep it out, and it, and it crumbles and goes away. But it it will rebuild and come back. So there's a couple of products that are made that you can put on the concrete that soak into it to help minimize this. And uh, um, Deitch Coatings makes one of them, and you, they're online only. It's D-A-I-C-H Coatings.com. Uh, it's a product you can order for effervescence. And, uh, oh, shoot, uh, Quickcrete is the other one that makes a product for it. And both of them are a, a liquid that you put onto the concrete and let it soak in. And uh, the the one from uh, Quickcrete is probably going to be a little more accessible, but even that you're probably going to have to order. But I think you can go into like a box store that sells Quickcrete, and they'd probably be able to order it for you. Is there a way to get like the, these garage floor companies to to put a epoxy over this? surprisingly enough, the epoxy won't stop it. it. It will tend to blister off as this stuff tries to come up through. So that, hmm. that, won't, that won't solve the problem unless you put the, the other stuff on first. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Renee, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Well, I have a situation where uh, my granddaughter painted a mural on a piece of plywood and it's a full piece of plywood and it's going to be outside. So do you, what do you recommend to seal it? Well, that's going to depend on what she painted it with. Uh, Acrylic paint. Okay. So you should be able to clear coat that then to protect it. Um, But I'm going to tell you the weather is going to take its toll on it. Even with that. Uh, is, is Is it, is it undercover or, out in the the open where it's going to get rained on and everything. It's in an enclosed patio, and it probably will get rain some of the time. Okay. So, yeah, the, uh, you're going to want to put a clear coat over that, and then you're going to have to check if, it, uh, if it's going to be compatible with the acrylic. Uh, but they do make acrylic clear coats, so that shouldn't be a, an issue at all. Um, okay. You could possibly go a step further with even a a plexi cover, but I don't think that would look real good. So that's probably as far as I would go with it. Okay. That sounds like a good plan. Do you recommend any type of of the sealant or? um, No. Truthfully, I haven't checked into it enough to, to say here's the brand I would go with. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I'll let you know if it works out really good. Alrighty, I appreciate that. And I enjoy your program. Thank you very much. Thank you, ma'am. You take care. We're going to Kima and Sharon. This is Jim. How can I help you? 
yes, I um, I'm thinking about building a house in the Texas Hill Country, and okay. I'm debating on a slab or a pyramid. bean. You know, in the Texas Hill Country, you can go with either one because in most areas, you're going to be building on top of the rock, anyways. And so both foundations will work just fine. Uh, a lot of them are still slab, though. Just if you're going to do a slab. In fact, my, my brother-in-law was at my house yesterday. He He's actually building a house in the hill country right now. And his is a slab. And I was explaining to him the big thing that you got to watch is that they take the beams and everything down to the stone. Uh, if they leave just a, a four or six inches of soil between the the limestone and the beams of the foundation, it will move. But it's easy to take it down to the limestone and, and be nice and solid. So as, as far as which one is better, it'll depend on the architecture of your home, which one's going to look better with it. You want the big wraparound porches and everything? I would go with a crawl space home. But if, if uh, a slab fits your house style better, that's fine as well. The other thing to look at, yeah. though, is how much slope is on your lot. You'll find that if there's a lot of slope on the lot, the house up on, you know, with the crawl space is going to be less expensive to build than the slab when they got to raise, do a lot of concrete in order to make it level. I'm, I'm leaning toward the pier and beam just because of having that crawl space, which I think would be... It hides the plumbing, any any problems that you have are easy to address. Yep. And then because of the rockiness of the dirt there, that was my other reason for doing it. Is there a big costing difference? There used to be. There's not anymore because wood and everything is so expensive. But like I said, if the, if the lot has a lot of slope to it, then there is a big cost difference and the crawl space is, is less expensive. Okay. All right. I was I was just wanting another opinion. I knew where I was leaning, but I just thought, well, I'd get another opinion. Are you telling me your husband was leaning a different way? Oh, no. I'm, I'm the one that's going to make the decision on Okay. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave that I, I know, one alone because no matter what I say, I'm going to get in trouble with that one. So. <laughs> no. no. Uh, when it comes to, I, I'm one of these, uh, you know, women that tends to like construction and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, besides diamonds, I like construction and tools. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, good luck with that, right, Sharon, you. and uh, you take care. Hello, I'm contacting you for a 1,020-square-foot home that we are rehabbing. The back room had carpet, and the carpet and pad were removed. We were using the room for storage of materials while working in other areas. Last night I was in that room and picked up a couple plastic buckets that were empty and noticed a circle of moisture under each. So I checked out underneath paint cans. Same thing. Now very concerned. Does the cement need sealing and who does that? Also, I would think that if there was a pipe leaking under the slab, there would be more water in the home and yard. There is no water. Yet anyway, there was a pipe that broke in the attic when the home was empty during the freeze a couple years ago. Also, the rest of the home has old tile in it. If the cement was sealed, or wasn't sealed rather, does that all need to come up to check and seal? 
We will probably remove that anyways. It is very 1980. Thanks for your time and response, Nancy. Well, first, Nancy, uh, what your experience is not that uncommon. And it's one of the reasons I, I always uh, say, if you're getting ready to lay hardwood floors down, tape a one foot by one foot square piece of plastic to the floor and see if you start getting moisture coming up under that plastic. That would be an indication you don't want to put a wood floor on that concrete because it's got moisture under it. If you put carpet in there, if you put tile floors, it won't hurt a thing. You don't need to do absolutely anything other than look around the outside and see if you've got a drainage issue. You know, um, standing water when it rains, a low spot, the water, the soil slopes towards the house, things like that, that can cause you issues with the moisture in the concrete. But in general, a lot of people have this problem. And it's one of the reasons I preach all the time, don't do glue down wood floors, do a floating wood floor that has a vapor barrier under it. If you do that, again, you'll probably be okay. Uh, you know, the reason old style wood floors, and I'm talking about from the 60s and earlier, didn't have a problem is the way they worked, they would put hot tar on the entire concrete floor. They would use that hot tar to glue two by four screeds in, and then the wood floor was nailed on top of that. And so there was actually a dead air space between where the hot tar was on top of the concrete and the wood floor. That kept moisture from coming up. Once we eliminated that process and started just gluing the floors down onto the uh, concrete, that's when we started having these moisture issues. And it's a normal thing for concrete to let moisture come through it. We think of concrete as just being a hard, solid surface, and it's not. It's porous, and moisture will go through it. But again, if you're going to put carpet, if you're going to put tile, something along those lines, or a floating floor, if you want to get like uh, new core moisture it will it won't really affect you any you would be fine and the reason for that the ac system is dehumidifying and taking the moisture out of the air as it's coming up through that when you glue down a wood floor that process is blocked and that moisture kind of builds up underneath there and it starts the wood floor to cupping and warping and and all kinds of issues that you don't want so I would not worry about tearing everything up and trying to seal the concrete and all that stuff. Just be conscious that, hey, there's certain floors I shouldn't put down on here. Going to uh, Northwest Houston, BJ, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. I have a question about uh, we have a space in the backyard. There used to be a covered patio deck, but the wood got eaten up, so I took everything down. Now, there's some remnants of the the previous wood, so we need to re rebuild it. The size is approximately 20 feet by 24, 10 feet by 24 feet. Okay. And uh, so the debate in the family is between the paper stone so that the soil can absorb uh, water versus concrete. That's what I am rooting for. So I have multiple questions, but let's first uh, see what is your opinion. Should we consider paper stones versus concrete? I have had both, 
And I will tell you, the paver stones don't uh, let the ground absorb as much moisture as everybody thinks. Uh, they make stones, you know, pavers that actually have holes in them. Those let a lot of moisture go through. But on a standard paver stone, I mean, it's really just the, the joints around the edges, which are typically butted up against each other. So it's really not letting too much soak in. So if that's the only reason somebody's thinking that, uh, I would dis discard that. Um, you're going to put a cover over this, you said, right? Um, might, might not, but yes, the cover is a consideration, yes. Okay. If you're going to put a cover on it, I would go with concrete. If you're not going to put a, co a cover and you like the looks of the paver stones, then I would go with the paver stones, and here's why. Um, if you put a cover and you set that post down on the paver stones, it, there's nothing there to really support it very well. Where with concrete, you've got the entire area to spread the load. Uh, with a paver stone, it's really on whatever two pavers that post happens to be sitting on, and that's it. So, you know, if, if you were going to uh, build a, a structure on top, you know, a cover like that, and you got to have posts coming down, you would still have to have concrete underneath it to have any type of support for the post. And so you'd okay. have double the expense. Okay. That's, thank you. And next, so moving to the concrete now. Yeah. So how thick we should consider, 4-inch or 6-inch, because I talk with a few people and they are giving different ideas. Uh, some are saying, no, 4-inch should be more than enough. Some are saying, no, 6-inch will be better. Are you parking semi-trucks on it? Not not at all. <laughs> the four inches. humans will be parked on there. Yeah, 4 inches is it. Your driveway at your house is 4 inches. The patios are 4 inches. The slab is 4 inches, except for where there's grade beams around the perimeter and cross beams. Everything else is 4 inches thick. The only time we start stepping up to 6 inches is uh, when you're going to be driving heavier vehicles and stuff on it. So there's not a reason to go 6 Okay. And so since we are considering to build a structure, maybe either at the same time or maybe in the future. Right. So should we con consider doing something on the places where in the future or at this moment the, the post will be mounted? If I was going to build this, what I would do 10 by 24, I would have a probably 24 inch beam around the perimeter of it and one down the middle. You know, so that I have two sections that are 10 by 12. And uh, I would put number three rebar on everything uh, that's the four-inch part and use half-inch rebar in my grade beams to strengthen it all up. And I'm going to put you on hold. I'll come back to you after I take this quick break. And uh, when I left, I was talking with BJ. BJ, let me get him back up. Hey, we were talking about concrete. You know, we, we got into reinforcement uh the reason i would put the 24 inch beam around the perimeter you could actually build that into a structure then if you wanted and it's heavy enough at that that if it ever needed leveling or something you'd be able to put piers or pilings or whatever you want under it to level it up um, the reinforcement all concrete's going to crack by nature steel is in it to hold it together uh, a lot of times Contractors love to use wire mesh. It's always under the concrete because you cannot stand on it 
and keep it in the middle of the concrete. And so they say, well, we pull it up as we go. That's like reaching down, grabbing your bootstraps and trying to lift yourself up. It, it doesn't work that way. So number three rebar on 12-inch centers gives the contractor, the finisher, room to walk between the rebars without pushing them under the concrete like the wire mesh does. And then the the concrete in the beams and the steel in the beams, that just makes everything nice and rigid. And like I said, I would put one down between, so I've got a, a 10 by 12 and a 10 by 12. You know, it's obviously all one pour, but uh, that just breaks it up and makes everything nice and stiff. And um, new foundations are poured on 10 by 10 grids like that as well nowadays. So that would give you everything you need. And uh, BJ, the, the strength of concrete, minimum of 3,000 PSI. About to ask that question. And and if you, if you can help me understand that beam part you are trying to explain. So 21, you're saying 24-inch beam? Yeah. Like 24-inch deep going Correct. into the ground? It's 24 oh. inches down in the ground, and typically only 10 or 12 inches wide is all you need. Well, and honestly, if you are looking at building anything out of concrete, 3,000 PSI is the minimum. From there, you can go up. But for patios, driveways, sidewalks, 3,000 really is all you need. Your average house is only 3,000, sometimes 3,500. Uh, you know, every once in a while, an engineer will design stuff with 45 and 6,000 PSI concrete for something like that. It is way overkill and really is not doing anything to make it any better for you. So uh, I would leave it at that. We're going to head into Dallas. And Marion, this is Jim. How can I help you? Yes, I forgot to tell him. I live in a, a senior community in an apartment. Okay. And I am on the second floor, and there's um, the, there's two floors above me. But I have got, and have been since I've been here, it's a little algae that just kind of comes out every so often, and I don't know how to get rid of it. And it's not because the toilets aren't clean, because you know, they're clean thoroughly all the time, and I just don't know what to do about it. And I wonder if it has, and the lady above me said she has it every so often herself. So I'm thinking it's in the pipes. And, and where is it coming out at? Well, this particular toilet, there's a water comes out in the very front of it, and sometimes it'll come out there, and then sometimes it'll just you'll walk in there in the bathroom and just look in there, and there's a little piece of algae, and it may come out of the. Sometimes it's come out of the side, but then I. But if you clean, I've cleaned it before, all really good, all around the rim and everything, and then you know go back in there and look a little later, and there's a little piece of algae, and I, that stuff you put in the back of the. Oh, I've used vinegar in the toilet tank. Uh -huh. I'll put a little bit of there, and that kind of, that we thought that was helping, but it's still there. Okay, and so, so yeah, it's it's coming out it, uh, from the water supply in the toilet then, and more than likely, um, you know, because you mentioned the the type of unit it is, I'll bet it uh -huh. sat empty at some point in time for a period of time. Oh, and okay. what happens is, in the the top of the toilet, the, you know, the the bowl there where the water goes around the, the bowl, uh -huh. it can sit in right. there, and when the toilet's not being used, that water will actually stagnate and start to grow algae. Once that happens, it's tough to ever stop it because inside where the water circulates, you, you know that, that part is all glazed over. But where the water comes out through those holes and stuff, it's not. Uh -huh. It's porous in there, and the algae gets into the pores of the 
the porcelain itself and will continue to fester and grow. So uh, one thing that may kill it off and help uh, is a chlorine tablet in the tank. Because well, that way, that. every time well, you flush, yeah. Okay. Every time you flush, you're going to be putting chlorine into into it. Clorox makes a, a tablet like that that you could put in and try as well. Yeah, that, well, I knew they did. And one time I was going to use those a long time ago at another house, and I thought, what if that ruins the pipes? So I didn't no. use it. Well, it will not ruin the pipes. Won't won't uh, be any problem for you at all. So I would okay. try dropping one of those in first. Okay. And and see if that doesn't kill it off. Um, and, and, you know, give it a, a period of time. You know, it should, within a, a couple of weeks, have it killed off where you stop getting that. If it still continues, then you can try a chlorine tablet, you know, like from a swimming pool. Uh-huh. And that would give it a concentration of chlorine just like shocking. And if that doesn't kill it off, it'll be time to replace the toilet. Okay. All right. Well, that's great to know. I've been worrying about this for about two years now. Yeah, nothing to worry about. Okay, great. Thanks for your help. You bet. Take care. Okay. This comes from Paul and Katie, and he's going to be building a home. He says, plan to build a new home, 3,500 to 4,000 square foot, close to Cleveland, Texas, about 20 miles east. Looking for reputable builder and separate independent good inspector. Can you advise? Well, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, and, uh, you know, Last time I checked, they still had it. David Weekly Homes has a custom home building division. And, you know, they build on your lot. So I would give them a call because they really build nice homes. Uh, Then as far as an inspector, uh, you know, you, you hear me talk all the time about an engineer, Deaver's Engineering. You can call him at 713 828-8901 and uh, you could probably set up to get your inspections done that way and especially if you're going to be building out in a county area like that uh, where you're probably not within city limits you're going to want a, an independent inspector but even if you are building within city limits where you're getting city inspections it doesn't hurt to have your own inspector come by and and the reason for that City inspectors are not checking to make sure that all the plans and and stuff are being followed in detail. What they're checking for is to make sure that that your home meets minimum standards. And a lot of times we're not wanting to build to minimum standards. We, We have extra stuff put in. Your independent inspector will pick up on that better than the city inspectors. Now, in some cases, the city inspections do ca- catch certain things like that because if in the in the plans that are submitted, uh, it calls for things to be done a certain way, hey, that's what they're looking for and, and they may flag it. But unfortunately, a lot of times that is not the case. And so uh, I do recommend getting an independent inspection done. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.